People don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. This is the Under the Visor podcast. From the OU Insider Studios, here's your host, Brandon Drum. Welcome to another OU Insider Podcast, the Under the Visor Podcast with Joey Helmer, lead editor and content manager, our assistant team and recruiting manager, Colin Kennedy, and myself, Brandon John, the lead team and recruiting analyst. Uh, guys, 62-28, 62-28. That was an epic beatdown. Um, let, let, let's start with the fact that that game was uh, the same score as the OULSU game in uh, Georgia in the Peach Bowl last year. That's how you want to start it? But, hey, just a reminder to everybody that that was... Oh, man. Yeah, sorry, guys. Had to. Um, but, but this team, this team, they've got... Would you say that the two best players returned on the team for suspension, not named maybe Jalen Redman and... Um, for Spencer Rattler, I guess. I mean, those would be uh, if you were going to name the best guys. I, and I think you would probably have to throw Mims and Stogner in there as well. But would you would you say that of the top five players, you probably got two of your top five back? Uh, definitely significant players back uh, in Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson. And boy, <laughs> did they make an impact! We've been saying all year how much, like, how many times have we talked about we're, we're not going to make excuses for this football team. But in saying that, you can't ignore the production that they don't have when these guys aren't on the field. And, and you saw it. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson scores his first carry. He has three touchdowns, 87 yards. Um, and uh, on the other side of the ball, obviously, Perkins is a – impact player as well getting in the backfield with a couple of TFLs and a quarterback hurry and um, doing what we've seen him do so yeah I mean Oklahoma sorely missed these guys and we're not gonna again give them any crutch for the games that they lost earlier this year you're up 21 points on Kansas State finish that game off you're up um, my touchdown in the fourth quarter at Iowa State finish that game off but um, if they have these two guys, I think it's fairly safe to say they do finish those games off. Yeah, I wrote in my takeaways from the game that the question will be posed moving forward, what would Oklahoma's record look like if those two had returned earlier in the season? 
And on Saturday night, those two proved it's a fair question to ask. I mean, they were simply dominant. And I think Perkins, not only with the the on-field statistical production, proved the fact that he is a player that they need defensively, but from what you just see in the eye test, it's clear that if he had been on the field earlier in the year, this Oklahoma defensive line might be even better because his presence alone opens things up for those other guys on the defensive front. I mean, Nick Benito has been one of the best pass rushers in America. Isaiah Thomas, what a player he's become. Perrion Winfrey gets better and better. If they have Ronnie Perkins, who knows where those guys are at from a playing level perspective. I think Ramondre Stevenson, yes, he was absolutely dominant, but he's also that physical back that they needed sometimes to keep the chains moving and finish off some games in the fourth quarter like Joey brought up. I mean, man, those two guys coming back, it was just like you would write it up in a movie, man. They were simply outstanding. And with the I'm back t-shirt being flashed on national (laughs) television, what a way to write it up, man. It was fun to watch. So my take on this was very much that you saw just an energy, a vibe, a different mindset in this team from the get-go, the second these guys showed up. And Spencer talked about that in the post game, and so did Lincoln. I mean, Spencer brought it up. He said, man, we all jumped up. We cheered. You know, they told us in the meeting, like, hey, this is – this is going to happen. And, and you know, the second that it happened, everybody was texting and that's how it got out. I mean, and the coaches knew that was going to happen, but at that point in time, it was too late for them to, you know, Texas tech to prep for what was about to happen to them. And it showed, uh, but that, that was a different team. It was, it was a completely different team than we've seen all year. And I think, I asked this question to Spencer and I don't think he quite understood what I was asking. I said, with Ramondre back there, does it give you confidence? Does it give the offensive line confidence? Because it seemed like there were the holes were bigger than that night on Saturday night than they were at any other point in time during the season. And especially when Ramondre was like the cutbacks and stuff like that, that, and maybe he just has better vision. I don't know, but it seemed different even with the offensive line, like, okay, we got two nine back there now. Let's go. You know, let's get this thing going. He's gonna make us look better and therefore we can block and be a lot look a lot better in our assignments than we have previously with the other guys. And it's not to say that Pledger and McGowan aren't good running backs because they are. They're really good running backs. They're not a, they're not Ramondre Stevenson. And I think that's clear to everybody in the country how good this guy really is. Um and the way he came back with a bang, don't tell me that the NFL people weren't going, oh, who is this guy? You know, this guy, he, he looks like an NFL back already. Um, so that that's another thing Oklahoma fans have to worry about because the thought is he's going to return and you're going to be loaded at every freaking position in 2021. And you still probably are if you land Kamar Wheaton, you know, whatever. But he's different. I mean, 246, 245, 250 and runs a 4'4", 4540. That's not right. That's not normal. That's not something you see on an everyday basis and why he is what he is. But you could tell the swagger, the the difference in this team on Saturday night. And as Spencer said, after they got that news, he stood up in front of the team and said, I think it's about time we embarrass somebody. And they went out and they did it. That was very Baker-esque. Now, I talked to some people last night and they say as long as Spencer continues to 
win and play like this and back up that type of talk, they think that this team has a chance to be special. And they weren't talking about 2021. They were talking about 2020. And the people I was talking to, they know a little bit about football. So that, that's that got to be scary for the rest of the Big 12, the rest of the nation. That, And I think the nation took notice because you saw how far OU moved up in the polls, right? I mean, they moved up six spots or five spots or whatever. That's a significant jump beating an unranked team. That shows you that everybody went, whoa, they got these guys back. This is a different – and that's what everybody said, national ESPN. This is a different OU team. This isn't the team we saw three weeks ago, four weeks ago. This team looks like a team that could compete for a national title. Unfortunately, they've already lost two games. Having said that, the growth of this team – the difference in this team, and you brought it up, Colin, you brought it up. It is 2020. It is a COVID year. With everything that could happen within the realm of possibility, these teams have only played four games, maybe because of the Big Ten rules on COVID, uh, the Pac-12 rules on COVID costing them, what they only have six already. Could this be a year you have a two-loss team in the playoffs? And I, I don't mean that saying because Oklahoma. I mean that in general. Could this be the two-loss team? Are they going to – do you think there's a legitimate shot that they expand the playoffs to eight this year just because there's been such a shortage on games and the fact that COVID just reigned supreme and kind of dwindled down uh, team chances because you're going to probably see Clemson lose to Notre Dame in a couple of weeks or this next week. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a real possibility. Now I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think Notre Dame's actually the third or fourth team in the country. I think they're overrated, significantly overrated. They have Notre Dame, they have the golden dome helmets. That's why they're ranked up there. They have not looked good this year, even in undefeated. They haven't really looked that great. Is this a year that they allow two teams? Anybody? Anybody want it? I know you are sitting here thinking, but like, I don't well, think they're okay. going to expand the playoff. I, there you go. There you go. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> I think maybe they've already said it, but no, I, I don't see that happening. And this is why, after the Iowa State game, guys, like those those are two games that Oklahoma absolutely let slip away. Yeah, I mean, it's baffling at this point. They should be six and zero. I mean, they, they should be undefeated right now, and that's what was so frustrating about it at the time. Is you know we're we're going to sit here and critique them, but man, th- those are games they should have won against teams they're better than, and now you're seeing it. Last you know a couple of days ago with the beatdown of Texas Tech, like. You've got a lot of your team back. You're a, a fuller version of yourself now. And you went and you pounded someone. And to me, I tweeted after the game when Spencer said that about they were going to go somewhere and embarrass someone. And that's exactly what they did. Like, that's a mentality. Uh, it, like, Baker had that mentality and Kyler had that mentality. But team-wise, I don't think they had that mentality during during the last few years. Like, yeah. maybe they've delivered some beatdowns, but they were vocal about going to Lubbock and beating the crap out of someone. And that is exactly what they did. And that's the kind of things that you see that I understand. Clemson had a close game the other day. But when Clemson goes on the road to places – they don't go with the mindset that they're going to win the game by a touchdown. They go with the mindset 
that they're going to beat the crap out of someone. Uh, what was 73 to seven or the mm-hmm. Georgia tech game yeah, a couple Georgia weeks tech, ago. Yeah. yeah. Alabama goes to A&M with the mindset that they're going to hammer Texas A&M. They're going to hammer State. whoever they go on the road, Mississippi state, wherever they go, they're going to win games and win the big. And to me, aside from everything we talk about within the game, that was the biggest storyline to me was that they went with the mission and they took care of that mission guys. So I want to say that I don't see the playoff expanding right now. Cause it's just at that point in the year where it's hard to make that call. Right. But I right. will say this, this is not the team. Like you said that we saw a few weeks ago, and it's also not the team that we will see a few weeks from now. Because friendly reminder, they just got Ronnie Perkins back. Yes, they just got Ramondre Stevenson back. Yes. Jaden Hazelwood, Trajan Bridges, Braden Willis, <laughs> Charleston Rambo, DeLaron Turner-Yell, all weren't in the building. There's still everything ahead That's of the scary. football team. That's man. scary. <laughs> I wrote That's it scary. in my in my takeaways. Like, I this mean... team's... This team's ceiling right now in 2020 is ridiculous. We keep talking about 2021. They had five guys out that are key contributors on both sides of the football. It's like, I think this is going to be a position where Oklahoma, again, is going to be right on that fringe bubble range. And it's going to have to be a situation where the playoff committee truly evaluates what they bring to the table at face value a few weeks from now. Because once they get all their guys back, and at some point they should, this team will be an absolute force to be reckoned with, and they proved that on Saturday. It's a terrifying thought to think about, but with the, the potential run that they could go on and some of the guys that could get back again, man, this team is loaded and it should be. Could Okay, so and I'm not, I'm not comparing them to 2008, so listeners, don't go there with me when I say this, but the way that they're, it seems like they're going to go about every game is very 2008 Oklahoma where they, they that, that team went out to embarrass a living crap. I think they're going to try to destroy every opponent the rest of the season. Like, like I, I do not think, guys, that that was a one-weekend thing. Like, I don't either. I, I think they're frustrated about the way they started the season. They feel like they're a better team. They, guys, they heard everything we said. They heard, they heard all the – they just, they saw all the press clippings about uh, Oklahoma starting one and two and – uh, this is not a very good football team, and uh, within those walls, they, they they're showing us guys. They're Riley told everybody they were team. close too, and we all looked at him like he was crazy. Like close from what? Like we're try and close to going one and four or what? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I I'm with you. I think that that this team has a scary son. Both of you guys made great points. Um, it's it is it's scary how good that could be, and. We'll touch. We're going to touch on this Jaden Hazelwood stuff on OU Insider VIP board. Um, for what we have right now, and I'll say what I've reported. I'll give you all what I've reported. I have some different in, differing information that I'm going to throw out here soon. Uh, but the goal is the Kansas game. That's the goal. Now, is the athletic trainer going to clear him for Kansas? Is the question. I think that that's the that's the hope and he's been practicing he's been doing things that he's supposed to be doing to get to that point he's ahead of schedule all things that we've reported on OU insider it's just a what if type deal right now like 
or is he going to be fully ready in the minds of the athletic trainers? Now, there's a way to combat that and allow him to play, but it's going to take some convincing, I'm afraid. <laughs> I think it's just because it, coming back from an ACL tear, you don't want to redo it. You don't want to come back too early. Now, granted, he has been practicing. He has been cutting. He's been doing everything that he's supposed to be doing. It's just you have a bye week following this game. You essentially have two bye weeks. Bingo. That, that's it. In, are they really going to need him for Kansas, guys? Yeah, but do you play him for 10, game, 10, 10, 10, 15 plays to get him ready to just get so. him a little live action scrimmage live? Because you're going to do the same thing in the bye week. He's That's my thought good. process, I mean, Brandon, is like let him play 10 snaps and just see where he's at from a physical standpoint. I mean, what better time correct. to do it than right now? Because the worst thing that you can do is just throw him into the fire in meaningful snaps because right after bed, the bed Kansas bye, yeah. they have Oklahoma State, don't they? Yeah. So – Get that guy ready, man. I say let him go at it if he feels and he's cleared. And three weeks from now, that that could be a – two weeks from now, that could be a top ten – is it three three weeks? It would be three weeks from now, right? Three weeks from now, that could be a top ten matchup. Realistically, I mean, Oklahoma State could I – mean, what are they at right now? 12, 13, 14? Something yeah, like 12 that. 12 in one poll. 12 in the – I believe they're 12 in the coaches' poll, and I think they're 14 in the association. Yeah, there's a chance that both teams – yeah, there's a t- chance that both teams are in the top 10 or at least close to the top 10, at least top 15. They're both going to be top it's gonna 15. It's going to be a big-time game. Mm-hmm. It's going to be huge. It'll probably be the night game on ABC or Fox, one of the two. Um, so it, it just – you don't want to throw him out there. In my opinion, that's not how you go about it. In my opinion – but I'm not an athletic trainer. I don't have a medical degree. I went and did communication and journalism, so that's all I know. But – the this whole coming back you should if you're gonna do live good on good in practice and that's what you're trying to base him off of you might as well give him some reps against kansas and see where he's at that's just how i see it and i think colin you agree do you agree joey i certainly see the point that you guys are making i just i think of a few good on good reps in practice is it I'm being so disrespectful to Kansas right now, but <laughs> I mean, good, good on good against Kansas is no different than a good on good practice session. Um, it's not know, even close, probably on a bye week in <laughs> Oklahoma. So, yeah, I I, I see the the live, you know, when the lights are on argument though, and that's a that's definitely a really good argument without question. So, it's other guys that we're gonna go over. Uh, talk about you know you brought up the fact that they're missing Braden Willis they're missing DTY they're missing Jaden Hazelwood Trajan Bridges um, and Charleston Rambo they were also missing LaRon Stokes on the defensive front Um, and still I mean that was a starter so I'm trying to remember Isaiah Thomas got his first start uh, because of LaRon Stokes being out is that correct Am I correct? Well, he that? slid into that defensive tackle yeah, spot yeah. for Stokes. Yeah, he slid in the so you've got IT, you have Perrin Winfrey, Josh Ellison, Ronnie Perkins, Jordan Kelly, Corey Roberson, 
Who else am I missing here? Benito, if you want to count him as a defensive line guy. Benito, defensive lineman, JMT. That defensive front, you throw Stokes in there. Is there 10 better defensive fronts in college football? 10? Ooh. 10. Well, I'd really have to dive into the research, but they definitely have the argument right now to be the best and in the big well, bar none. They're definitely playing like a top 10 unit in the country. I mean, I would agree. <laughs> they're pretty well, darn good, but you I, I think it's that out there to y'all. Sure. Let's hear it. They are according to tackles for losses. Just throwing that out there. Hey, that's a good measuring stick. What did, what did Grinch say last year? He's a tackles for loss monster or something fiend. Yeah. I can't remember what he called yeah, him. Colin, fiend. you know, we, we've got to have a little bone to pick because IT has a, a one and a half TFLs in this game, right? Mm-hmm. We needed that the week before for our for our digest these numbers. Ah, man, that would have been a good number. One and a half uh, sacks. He, we needed that. He's so good, and like Perry on Winfrey right now too is starting to come into his own. Ellison has really stepped forward, but I mean, tackles for loss are a good measuring stick. But it feels like the biggest thing for me, guys, is. It felt like towards the beginning of the year that like Nick Benito was probably the one guy who was consistently in the backfield. Right. And now it feels like there's about two or three guys on almost every other snap. You can almost like just name a guy and he's in the backfield. Yeah. Like, exactly. like they, this is not something we, in Brandon, I thought, um, you know, at, at the beginning of the show, like you, you kind of talk about like, this is, this is what we've been wanting to see. Like, like a, they're dictating finally defensively right now. But, like, they're playing the game on, on how they want to play the game. They're dictating the terms on their terms is the terminology I was looking for. That's really yeah. good. No, they, they – they, 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 this defensive lineman line, – this defensive line group is – he doesn't even have the second best player, arguably the second best player out there in Jalen Redman. I mean, that's the, think about that. Think about this people think about this. And then you're going to bring in Isaiah Coe. You're going to bring in NRK Keenan or Clayton Smith. I almost said Keenan Clayton. Yeah. They would love to have him back. I'm sure. Um, at the linebacker spot, it'd be great. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, they're going to bring in Clayton Smith. They're going to bring it. Well, speaking of, I drove through, the other day, I drove through Keenan Clayton's uh, hometown uh, after going Seton, seeing Clayton Smith. Uh, but they're going to have Clayton Smith. They're going to have NRK. They're going to have Kelvin Gilliam. They're going to have Isaiah Coe all added to this. And Jalen Redmond all added to the end. Marcus Hicks. Ethan I mean, Downs. Ethan Downs. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is that's another top 100 guy like the fact and i'm over here laughing because for so long us as analysts covering recruiting listening we've heard the fan base bash us because and not bash us i mean they get frustrated with us because we sit here and say just be patient be patient this defensive line group is going to come into its own soon. Look at how good they're recruiting on the defensive front. Yeah, well, it hasn't shown up yet. Blah, 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 blah. Why isn't the defensive front good? 
Folks, you have a really good defensive line right now. I mean, seriously, it is insanely deep and insanely talented. How many of those guys are NFL guys? Mm. We'll get drafted. How many of those guys will get drafted? Benito, Pierre Winfrey, Josh Ellison, Isaiah Thomas, Jalen Redman, Ronnie Perkins. That's six I just named right there. Probably the ball. Guaranteed. Part. That that's guaranteed. Guaranteed. LaRon and Stokes. That's what Oklahoma needs, by the way. Like so that's the next step for this program to say, look, Neville Gallimore's in Dallas right now. Look at these other all these guys. Yeah. We're starting to produce some NFL guys again. You know, Come you on. know who we left Join off? Out. You know, guys I just left off off the top of my head that have NFL talent, like upside. Think about this. Listen, listen to the names I left off the list of coming back for 2021. Reggie Grimes, Brendan Walker, uh, Noah Renze. Those are three really good guys that have a ton of talent. Noah Renze, folks, look up how many sacks that dude had at Weber Falls. <laughs> Go look it up. He was pretty productive. And, <laughs> and then, really like, you pretty got productive. Marcus Stripling. And, and he has no idea. Yeah, Mar- Marcus Stripling. I left off Marcus Stripling. Marcus Stripling, talk about somebody that's come along here lately. And he was a guy that when OU got him, everybody's like, yeah, he's a – He's a high four star, but his production really fell off at the end of his senior year. We don't know what happened to him, blah, blah. He comes into Oklahoma. He plays as a freshman last year. He was sparingly, but he played some and he played good in moments and bad in others. But this year he's played like a man possessed. I mean, he, I mean, this, this it, it, it's, it's crazy. And that's what everybody we've been trying to say to these fans is, Year two is where you're going to really see the growth in this defense. And then two to three, you're going to see even more growth because everybody's going to understand what they have to do, their job on each and every play, each and every call. It's going to become second nature to them instead of them having to think about it because they've only been working on it for so long. And mind you, this team didn't have an offseason. A young team, very little experience for the most part. And that's probably why you're also seeing this, this growth that we've been talking about this massive growth. I mean, I, I, for to you all, what is, what is the biggest thing that you want to see at the end of the season with this Oklahoma team? I, I want to see Joey and Brandon that, I will say this. I want to see what I saw a little bit more of on, on Saturday. And we talk about the defensive line. I thought the play from the defensive line eventually trickled into the rest of that defense as a whole. Because if you don't remember, I mean, Texas Tech came out of the gate and said, we're going to pick on Trey Brown as much as we possibly can and try and embarrass this guy. But because the defensive line was playing so well, that decreased the amount of time that Henry Columbia had to then do that game plan. And then I just thought those secondary guys, those linebackers, they played extremely well. I think that if the rest of that, that backside of the defense can match the play of the defensive front, 
everything will be ahead of this team because it's clear the offense is going to succeed and there's only going to be even more to accomplish from that side of the ball. But I think that if the rest of the defense can match the defensive line, man, this, this team's going to be absolutely terrifying to play from a week to week basis. You saw the impact of Oklahoma's defensive line in multiple ways. We talked about the TFLs, talked about getting in the backfield consistently, but Trey Norwood has a couple of picks, right? Because of how uncomfortable Henry Columbia is, yep. because you're tipping passes, because you're getting in passing lanes, those are the kind of things that happen. That's how you create turnovers. We've talked about how inopportunistic Oklahoma's been in that regard. They had only uh, five turnovers on the entire season coming into that game last week, and they get three. Those are the kind of things that, like, Colin's talking about the defensive line play trickling to the rest of the defense. That's the perfect example of it right there. And for Oklahoma, I'm seeing exactly what I want to see right now. Like, they're evolving so much as a football team. Lincoln Riley's teams have always done this. In 17, 18, 19, and now in 20, they just get better as the season goes on. And that's what I want to continue to see. I want Oklahoma to to look through the rest of the schedule. West Virginia just beat K-State, right? Like, that looks like it could be a much tougher uh, game potentially uh, than a week or two ago, right? But I want to see Oklahoma continue to progress and do what they did last weekend, and that is come in with the mission. You're playing Kansas this weekend. You're a 37-point favorite. Beat the crap out of them by 50. Put, show them they don't belong on the field. Two weeks from now, you're going to have a chance to defend your Big 12 championship. Oklahoma's in a position now to where they're kind of defending this Big 12 championship again, guys, after the rough start. Yeah. Bedlam, Oklahoma State, come in here and show them it's your field and it's your Big 12. That's what I want to see out of Oklahoma the rest of the season. Yeah, no, I I agree with both of you. I, I love calling the if the rest of the defense would play like the defensive line. I think that's such a perfect way of putting it because if they do, this defense is exactly what you see in Clemson and in Alabama each and every year and every now and then the LSUs and majority of the time, the Georgias of the world, um, but in Ohio state, I, I just think that, and it's amazing how much better the defensive backs have been with a good defensive line, right? Like every, the much maligned defensive backs for years. Well, guess what? It's really hard to cover a wide receiver tied in running back for like six seconds because you don't know what they're going to do and they know what they're going to do before you do. And you're always trailing behind. So I think that it's very, very difficult to see a secondary play badly because of lack of defensive line pressure. And We're talking about complimentary football. It's right, com- and Riley it's talked about it. defense. I mean, that's what it is. Do you remember the question I asked Riley last, last week? I said, so can you talk about the secondary, how they played? The fans think they, they've been kind of rough. We've, they, we've seen them improve a lot lately. 
what is your overall synopsis on it? And he said, well, Brandon, it's easy to say that because they're out there on an island. You don't get to see a defensive lineman miss the gap that they were supposed to hit. You know, there's a lot of different things out there that you don't get to see on the defense happening. But if a defensive back makes a mistake, it's glaring because it's always one-on-one and they're out there in the open on an island by themselves making that mistake. So that was that was a perfect answer by Lincoln, by the way. And it makes complete sense that now that the defensive line's playing well and the linebackers are starting to play well, the secondary looks a hell of a lot better than they did to start the season because the quarterbacks aren't they're they're not having all day back there to throw. And when you don't have all day back there to throw and you have defensive line pressure, you don't have to cover but for three, four seconds. And guess what? These defensive backs are good enough to cover for three or four seconds. A four three Trey Brown and a four four, four five Woody Washington can cover out in space. Trey Norwood really plays well in the secondary because guess what? He's used to playing corner. And I think that that's helped him out substantially playing safety in the nickel spots and all that stuff. I think that's helped him. I think it's been a huge, huge deal for him at strong safety. Um, I thought that Pat Fields looked a lot better the last two games. I think significantly better the last two games. He's, he's making plays. He's causing havoc. He's missed a couple of sacks. I've noticed on a couple of his cap cap blitzes that he's been on, but that's not, that's not out of the ordinary coming from that far. When you, when you gain that much speed, uh, the, the play that Trey Brown hit Ellinger in 2018, that's a rarity because normally a quarterback sees it coming and they can make a move and you're moving that fast that so you can't stop. So you whiz right by them. And uh, that happened a couple of times to Pat, but guess what? They ended up getting a sack or an incomplete pass or a batted down ball because of his pressure. Um, so he has, he's played better. He hasn't been called for the holding and you don't have to hold when you're out there covering for three or four seconds. Now, when a guy keeps changing directions on you and you're trying to just stay up with him, you're like, damn it, just stay in one spot. You're trying, I'm trying to cover you. You got to grab and hold. I mean, and he's been called for it. So is, so is Trey Brown, unfortunately. And I, I don't know that it's been fair for them to be pinned and, and scrutinized the way that they have, because it hasn't all been all their fault. I mean, it really hasn't, uh, but such is playing defensive back for the university of Oklahoma you get called out more than any other position other than quarterback. That is a fact for some odd reason. OU fans have it out for the defensive backs and the quarterbacks, no matter what happens. Um, I got a question for you before we get into Rattler, though. And I know just because we were talking quarterbacks, a nice little segue there. Um, who do you all see better? Because I, I, I have this – who who – Heaven forbid Rattler goes down. Long term, Chandler Morris, Tanner Mordecai, who would you play? That's a gross question. I don't like this question at all. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't like it either. <laughs> you have to answer it. <laughs> what a gross question. I, I just don't think Tanner Mordecai looked good in that game. No, I don't know. He, he couldn't even that. complete a five-yard pass. Dude. He just wasn't. He short arms everything. Yeah. So, guys, is it safe to say before before Colin answers the rest of his question here, 
is this safe to say it really wasn't a close quarterback battle again? Yes. Absolutely. But I mean, that's not surprising at all because Lincoln Riley does. I talked to somebody last night about this exact thing, guys. And the guy goes, that wouldn't know. This guy wouldn't know. He goes, Lincoln is forever going to do that. You guys can go ahead and just stop asking who the quarterback, if you, you know who the quarterback start, he goes, you know who the quarterback starter is going to be going into the season. And Lincoln is still going to tell everybody it's a battle and he will forever do that for the rest of his coaching career is what the guy said. I died laughing. But it's like, it's not like anyone, it's not like anyone believes him anymore. It, no one takes that with face value anytime he says, oh, this thing's been close the whole way through camp. No, it hasn't. And it's like everyone even heard from other people in the program, hey, this thing's not close. Like, it's no. clear cut that Spencer Rattler is the better quarterback. So, like, that being said, I just feel like Morris would be the better option because of the mobility he provides. But again, he's a freshman, so I would lean Morris. But again, this question is absolutely disgusting, and I hope we never talk about it again. He answered it exactly how I would answer it. Like, <laughs> I would lean Morris, but he's a freshman, so that gives you so much you know, nervousness that you're going to throw him right into the fold here. But he, Warakai has just been so unimpressive. Brandon, I, I want to say this. To really answer your question, let's just say if Caleb Williams was on campus right now, he would be the best. I would throw Caleb Williams in, yes. Well, here, funny you say that. Put some respect on Tanner Schaefer's name, guys. Damn it, guys. God, don't you forget about that guy from Canadian Texas that never lost a high school football game. He was the man. That dude can ball, man. He would be starting at a lot of places, and I'm going to lie. Poor guy. But he's an OU guy through and through, and he wants to learn under Riley. And he, you know, God bless him because I think he's going to be a really good coach one of these days, too. Um, I'll give you my answer on this since it is a gross question. I'm the one that asked this. Sorry, guys. You can take a shower after this podcast is over. Um, the, how it was posed to me was. <laughs> Because I asked this question to somebody. <laughs> they had a similar response to you guys. Guys, he's having a really hard keeping his time keeping a straight face. <laughs> he's even talking about this right now. Uh, well, no, seriously, like, I, I asked this question last night to somebody, and they just were like, why would you ask me that question? Like, And I was like, well, I was just curious. You know, watching those guys play, I just thought that Morris was a better player. And the guy goes, you're not wrong. And it's just, it's a fact. Morris is better than Mordecai. And here's the funny thing is inside that those walls had Morris not gotten COVID. He might've been the number two guy. That is, that's the word on the street. So, um, I, that I'm trying to I'm trying to phrase this right without stepping on toes here. How about we just phrase it like No, no, because this is this is, this is this is like this is like long term. I'm talking long term here. I'm talking like 2021 and beyond. So Morris, I I I sincerely everybody kind of thinks that Mordecai is going to transfer after this year. I think that's evident, right? I think we all think he's going to be transferring, and so does everybody. Everybody kind of thinks that. Everybody kind of knows that, I think. Um Morris is viewed inside those walls from everything I've heard as 
a guy that can go out and win you a bunch, a bunch of games, like is going to be a really good college quarterback. And Caleb Williams is really, really good. Love the kid. Think he's going to be a Heisman candidate at some point in time during his tenure at Oklahoma. But I'll put money that he redshirts 2021 just because of Morris. And I think it's to spread it out. I don't, it's a spread out Rattler and him more or less. Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with the ability of Williams versus Morris. It has everything to do with you don't want to go have rat you don't want to have Williams trailing right behind Rattler in classification. <laughs> you want it tell you want to split out a couple of years and that's why they will probably redshirt him. Talent wise, I don't think it's any I don't think there's any question that Caleb Williams is one of the best quarterbacks to come out of high school football in a while. I think that Rattler was up there. I think Rattler, Trevor Lawrence, Caleb Williams. I think those are the three. And ironically, they all ended up at OU. Or that's no, Trevor Lawrence. Dan, sorry, two of the three ended up at OU. Those guys are probably in the last five, six, seven years are probably the three best to come out of high school, talent wise. And I don't think it's. I don't think anybody would argue that either. They're that good. But you have to split them up. You cannot have Caleb Williams coming in, and that he may be listed as a redshirt freshman. But again, if Rather was to go down, do they play Morris or do they play Caleb Williams? That would be that. That's a more I think a question long term that would be interesting to see happen. You know, I, I not that we want that to ever happen because we don't. You want to see Rattler be healthy, win a Heisman win all the games that he wants to win and go off and have make millions of dollars as a first first round draft pick because that's where he's looking like he's going to be. But the what if is always interesting to talk about because that's what we do. We have to do that. I just thought it was an interesting question. It was kind of gross this year just because of how Mordecai's looked, unfortunately. And I'm not bashing the kid. I mean, he's just struggled. He short arms things right now. And I don't know why he's doing that because in high school, the guy was just a baller. I don't understand it. It's like he's changed his throwing style or he's not comfortable or he feels like there's too much pressure on him to perform because of Spencer or because maybe Chandler Morris, he knows nipping at his heels. I mean, I don't know what the deal, but he's got to, he's got to fix this because to transfer, you need to have film out there. That's decent when you get a chance to play and he's going to get the chance to play against Kansas. Again, he's going to get the – so is Chandler. You don't want Chandler going in there because I think this time Chandler's going to get more than five minutes. I do. Yeah. I think they're, they're going to split this up and because I think that Chandler has shown that he's – in the two times that he's played this year, he's shown the capability to really make plays with his feet and his legs. So we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. Um, Rattler – the guy effortlessly will we'll, we'll transition over to him, his performance. Um, the guy's special, really is. I think he has, and, and Reggie Bush said he's thrown him back in the Heisman race. Is that too soon? Is, that, is he worthy of that? Do you think he will get votes at the end of the year with continued play like this? Absolutely, because the best is yet to come. 
And I'm pretty confident in saying that. I mean, Kansas, he's going to have a chance to put up a ton of yardage. Oklahoma State, that's a that's a good defense. It's a very good defense, especially on third down, so he will be challenged. But West Virginia's defense is solid, but I think there's a real opportunity to put up points there. And I think Baylor is just an absolute mess right now. So by the end of the season, Rattler is going to be an even more different player than the guy we're seeing right now. And the guy we're seeing right now is pretty darn good. So I think he's definitely a guy you have to monitor in terms of the Heisman race. I'm not going to say he's going to win it this year, but at the same time, I mean, he should get votes by the time this thing is said and done because he looks so good right now. And again, I think there's still a version of Spencer Rattler out there that we have yet to see in 2020. That's even better than the version we're seeing right now. What do you think, Joey? Uh, let me ask yeah, you, that. Joe, Joe, Joey, being a Kansas City Chiefs fan and covering the University of Oklahoma, the comparisons to Patrick Mahomes, how much do you dislike you see or it like it? Okay, I like, want to know. I wanna, that's what I was about to say. Do you see it? Do you see it in, in him? Do you see why the comparisons are happening? Yeah, yeah. To me, it's, it's, it's absolutely his arm strength. I mean, you talk about that. I think it was a couple of games ago. Uh, yeah, I was in the TCU game, and I believe it was a throw to Charleston Rambo deep downfield. And it looked like he threw that off one leg. Like, he was kind of, if I remember right, he was kind of rolling to his left, and he just slings it downfield. And it's a strike. I, I mean, it's it, it's – it's the effortless motion that he throws with. Like that's the comparisons is when you watch Patrick Mahomes and he slings it or how, however he throws, wherever he throws downfield to, it just looks like he's not putting any effort into it. And that's right. when the, that's what the comparisons are about. Like when you look at Spencer Rattler in how he operates in the pocket, and outside of the pocket and make some of these throws with such ease. Those are the comparisons. So yes, I, I certainly see it. And this guy is going to be special. We, we've been saying that all along. And uh, I, I think that Colin brought up some good points about, we've talked about the gauntlet that Oklahoma was going to, going to run through and they're through the gauntlet. Now they're into how many times are we going to hear it? How many times are we going to hear it? Championship November. Here yeah. it is. It's here. And the schedule's lightening up now. Oklahoma State to me is the last major, major stumbling block. I still like Oklahoma to win at Morgantown. There's gonna be some opportunities for him to uh, to put up some big numbers in Oklahoma State, as Colin said, is it a test as well to show he can uh, be good against another good defense. Do, so what do you – I guess his stats against Kansas, is there how, – how long is he playing against Kansas, I guess, and, and how, what do you think his stat line is? I think that that's – yeah, I know what – do you, what do you got, Colin? One half. One half max. Okay. If he plays, if he plays in the third quarter, I will be <laughs> stunned. Like, I will be stunned. It's, this should be a Missouri State situation all over again. That will be on Sooner Digest this week, by the way. Let's we'll, do it. we'll have an over-under for that, and 
I guess we're both kind of tipping our hands here because I think he plays a half tops as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think maybe a half in, I'm going to say a series in the, the, the second half, I think just to, for flow purposes and all that stuff, because they got a bye week heading in. I think they'll play that. I think it all depends on where they're at. Now, if they're at a 42 to seven again type of game, then yeah, I think maybe you sit him out the whole second half. But if they are at say a 35 to seven, I think, and I know that sounds weird because they're, Oh, well, what's this one point? I mean, that one touchdown means a lot, you know, I mean, that, that, that means a lot. So I think he comes in, he plays that series in the second half, bada boom, bada bang, he's out. And I think you will see, here's the, here's, the, here's how I think you see this divvied out this time. I think you see the rest of the third quarter being played by Mordecai. And I think Morris gets the whole fourth quarter. I do. I really I think, think he should get some fourth quarter action, but that's just that's just us tipping the cap to Mr. Canadian High School. Yeah, no, I think he, I think Schaefer should too. So maybe maybe Morris plays the first ten minutes of the the, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Schaefer gets the last five. I would love to see him complete a touchdown pass too. I think yeah. that would be solid gold. Um, I guess lastly before we talk and go into the recruiting mode real quick, the season ahead, they have Kansas, they have Oklahoma state, then they have Baylor. And I think then it's West Virginia, correct? Uh, it's, it's Kansas, then by then Oklahoma state. Right. And then West Virginia and Baylor at the end of the year. Is Baylor the last game or I thought West Virginia is the last game. Yeah. Baylor's the last game. Of okay. The year. See, I'm so used to West Virginia being the Thanksgiving game. Um, well, uh, how do you see this playing out? Obviously we all think Oklahoma wins out, but do they make the big 12 title game? I'm going to say four and oh, I'm going to say they handle three of those opponents easily. And I would not be surprised right now if they beat Oklahoma state by three touchdowns. I just don't think, the Cowboys can match Oklahoma offensively. Yeah. And Weird I think to say too, with, with Sanders, Wallace and uh, Chuba. I mean, that's really yeah. weird to say. LD Brown too, at running yeah, back. LD Brown. Yeah. They, they have a couple of good receivers, stoners back, obviously, Got but Dylan. I just, I just don't, I haven't seen Oklahoma state really be impressive in a game that I expect them or need them to be impressive. And so I'm going to have Oklahoma back in the Big 12 championship this year. And I think, honestly, they, they win it if they get in. Because it's, it's clear to me that the conference isn't necessarily that strong this season. And I think Oklahoma, as this squad built in confidence, it was going to be the best team no matter what. And now that that's starting to come to fruition, I think if Oklahoma gets back in the Big 12 title game, and I do think that they will, they win it again. And that will be six in a row. Which next year you're almost guaranteed for seven. So this is this is the run that they're on is just insane. It's almost it's almost it's almost laughable. Like, and we'll get into this in just a minute. But <laughs> I can't wait to get into this. <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with with how laughable this run is. 
we're the next topics recruiting. So, um, Joey, oh, Colin, who do they play? Who do they play in the Big Twelve title game? Because I think that's, I think that's more intriguing than anything else. Because you have Iowa State and their their schedule. Iowa State. Do you? Because their their yeah. schedule is tough. Look at who they have to close with. They got K State, West yep. Virginia, Baylor at Texas. Baylor at Texas. Do they? I don't know that they don't lose two of those. I, well, and that's the thing. Like for Oklahoma right now, man. Like a, it almost a seems like it's going to be OU Texas. I think it's going to be OU Texas. A couple of weeks ago, we were not feeling good about this, but but Iowa State. So, man, I, I, I'm sure Oklahoma fans really had to take a shower on Saturday after rooting for Texas, but uh, <laughs> that. That that worked out all right for you guys. So, um, you know, now that you're all cleaned up and everything, Iowa State and K-State plays, so one of those teams is guaranteed a loss. Essentially, the loser of that game has to lose one other game, and Oklahoma has to win out, and they're in. That, that's, that's the formula. And Correct. So, so now one of those guys has to lose one other game. So right? now when we talk about – like let's hypothetical let's you know hypothesize here play some hypotheticals if Iowa State loses to K State then they would have to lose one of these three Baylor at Texas or West Virginia they're you going feel good to about them losing one of those three yes you do on the flip side if Iowa State wins now you're talking K State. I think you feel good about losing two of those three. I don't. I don't. I don't think they beat West Virginia. The way West Virginia's playing right now, I don't. I don't. I just don't They're see playing good because football right now. Iowa State even kind of struggled a little bit against Kansas this past week. K State's got the exact same blend of teams, so they, they also play at Baylor and versus Texas, and they don't have Skylar Thompson. So, I mean, Oklahoma, you. Bottom line to me, I think if they win their last four games, they're going to get in the Big 12 championship, and, and I think they're going to win the Big 12 championship. I agree. I agree with everything you just said, but I think it's going to be OU Texas again. And I think OU beats the living tar out of Texas. It really time could around. be. It really, really could I really be. do believe that. And I believe that because of what – now, granted, I know that Texas played really good against Oklahoma State on the road top 10 team in the country. You think they're going to beat Iowa State and K-State and and they're going to beat West Virginia. Uh, but this, I guess, man, that's a big game for them now this weekend. They got West yeah, Virginia I mean, coming up. Here's the, here's the thing is if they lose one of those, now obviously I'm wrong and they're definitely not going to be in the Big 12 title. But right now, I just it's hard for me to envision a world where they don't play Oklahoma State or – I'll admit that's a scenario I hadn't even really thought about. Like, I, I I had been so wrapped up in what kind of help Oklahoma needed, and if Oklahoma wins out and Texas wins out, that is going to be the matchup. Like, well, Joey, let me tell you something. You, my friend, are one of several who is accounting for Hermonitis, and if you aren't familiar with this awful disease. <laughs> It's something where you lose to teams that you're clearly better than. And Tom Herman's got West Virginia this weekend. And I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> Garrett Dagey is coming for Hermonitis, ladies and gentlemen. I am so excited. The Still Brothers are looking for a diagnosis this weekend. I don't think Texas 
has any clear chance. I mean, it's going to be a bumpy road. Now, I'm not going to rule oh, it it's, out. It's super bumpy, but I'm just saying that. Right. You know, I, 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 that's I'm what I want to see in the Big 12 title because I think I just I enjoy seeing those two teams play. If not, I want to see Oklahoma State know you. And that's a real, realistic possibility. Even yes. if OU beats Oklahoma State, as long as Oklahoma State wins out, they're in and Texas, if Texas loses a game. Yep. Texas loses well, this weekend. Now, I mean, that would pay you that. that, that because I think that's the best scenario for the Big 12 because viewers aren't going to go, oh, great, Iowa State OU. That looks like a great game for me to watch. No, but they will when they see Oklahoma State and OU or Texas and Oklahoma because those are the three big names. Those those are three teams that are constantly in the. Oh top. come on, man, Kansas. <laughs> oh yeah, so good. Oh wait, wrong sport. Yeah, wrong, wrong sport. sport. Wrong yeah, sport. you're We're thinking hoops, oh, man. That's yeah. coming up in like a month. Did they win like 17 straight? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something but, hey, like that. Is it? Is it? Look. If Oklahoma wins the Big 12 title this year, which we all expect them to do, mm. they win it next year, which we all expect them to do. They win it in 2022, which – They're never going to lose it. The, okay. Can they win – Will they a, leave the league? It's 10 in a time. row realistic. It's 10 in a row actually realistic at this point. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I agree. I think, but that, they, it seems like such a homer thing to ask. Can hypothetically, they win no, Big Twelve. Everybody's like, "Yeah, actually, they can." We're I, talking I, about if they win yeah. it this year, though. Is ten in yes. a row, and absolutely the answer yes. is yes. Well, but, but okay, I want to add to this. So, like, we're talking about like the homer perspective. Every other college football podcast, including this one, asked the same question: If not now, when? And the answer is never, because. Think about it, guys. Quinn Ewers is not coming to Texas anymore. No. So it's like, what, what happens now? And what, guess what? what, folks? I'm going to put throw in a crystal ball for Con- Connor Wegman to OU, and he's rated a top 100. <laughs> he probably he has a chance to be a five-star by the time it's oh, all said and done. How stud, scary man. is that? He's and it's so like, good. So I realistically good. think that, I mean, Chris Kleiman and, and – Oklahoma State and I think Iowa State, like those programs are on the right path. Yes. But Oklahoma is just not going to miss a beat as long as it get, keeps getting the quarterbacks in this conference. I mean, that's the key right now. And Illingworth is kind of a guy that you expect to be a really good signal caller in the future. But, like, I don't think he's going to be near as good as Caleb Williams no. or Wegman or whoever's starting at quarterback for Oklahoma, let alone Rattler for a new, another few seasons. So it's like, we're Chandler. If not now, when <laughs> I just don't see it ending anytime soon. And that the crazy thing is the crazy thing about this whole thing is, is so we'll just go ahead and segue over to the recruiting aspect of this since we're already doing this. Um, I but did you see the, did you see the write-up I did last night on um, the, the class calculator? And the guys that OU has crystal balls in for right now, like leads of crystal balls in for, if they land those four, potentially five with Egbuka being a, a 50-50 type guy for Oklahoma, they have 304 points with, and- 20, with 20 commits. Only 20 commits, and they're going to get like two other guys after that for defensive back purposes and potentially like another edge rusher or a linebacker as well. So maybe three. They have a chance to have like 315, 320 by the end of this thing. That's I, I did the same thing. Class in the country. 
I, I did the same thing. I ran through, and at 21, I counted for Kamar Wheaton, the, the offensive lineman, so Tristan Lee, Savion Bird, Bryce Foster. I threw Remington Strickland in there as a center take. And they would have 306-plus points, which would put them at the number two class in the nation with 21 guys. That's only 21 guys. I mean, that, that's, that's what, and that's what Oklahoma's been doing the last – that's what people don't realize. They're like, well, they finished 12. Like, yeah, they finished sixth in uh, uh, commit ranking, like average, last year. And they, the year before, they were like fourth. I mean, that's what is happening right now. They're not getting – what Oklahoma's doing is just, it's the perfect formula. And it's, other teams are going to start doing this in the Big 12 too. Texas mainly because they can recruit at that level. But they're taking the, these elite guys and they're not, they're not wasting all their numbers on recruiting, right? So they're getting quality. They're getting quality. They're getting mm-hmm. quality. They're getting 19 to 22 quality guys. And those other three, they're going out and they're saying, okay, we're going to go evaluate the top two or three transfers that we can take that are going to come in and they're going to help us this year to compete for another national title and win the big 12. And that is the formula Riley's using. He's taking two or three transfers every year and he's taking 19 to 22 players at the recruiting. And that formula is just worked out perfect because they have all these five stars waiting in the wings. So after these trans, they find a spot that they need a guy for transfer. They plug it in. They recruit at that spot. They fill it in the next year with a, a three or four year guy. Rinse, wash, repeat over and over. The position changes each and every year with the transfer outside of quarterback, obviously. But it's an unbelievable formula that has worked for Riley and it's helped Oklahoma look. Now look at what they have depth wise. Now look at what they've done recruiting wise. They're so young and deep, it's insane. And that is something Oklahoma fans are sitting there going, how did this happen? Well, because Riley was sitting there, y'all were saying, why are they taking these Jukes? Why are they taking these transfers? Well, you're seeing it now. That's why. Because he was allowed to go recruit and develop guys into what they are now. And it's worked out great for him. It has worked out great for him. And like you said, Colin, that 306 with 21, that is ridiculous. And since we've started this podcast, by the way, uh, that guy named Billy Bowman, who's pretty good, yeah, he sent out tweets to Jatavian Sanders, Austin Jordan, Anthony Hill, Bear Alexander, saying, hey, like, it's time. By the way, guys, oh, he's you not going to take Jatavian Sanders, the, guys. And I understand, like, what, what, you know, we're, we're on Twitter all the time. Like, when you scroll through your – your timeline stuff happens like occasionally you'll like something and then you'll uh, like, but did you guys see Brian Carrington liked, uh, (laughs) did you, did you guys see that? I didn't see it. I didn't see it. What do you like? Did you see he liked Boma's tweet uh, announcing that he had committed to you? (laughs) I don't know if you guys happen to see that. I doubt about that. Cause there was like, what is he doing? I mean, well, okay. I can tell you that was an accidental deal. Like, he was scrolling that because if you're on, you know, two thirds over on your screen and you hit it, and that's going to hit that like every time. I'm telling you. I mean, I'll tell you, man. It was funny. I was I cracking know, up. Though. I don't know what the explanation was there, but I mean, the 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 track record between Carrington and OU fans uh, in the Twitter battles has been well documented. So 
that was just more fuel to the fire, if you will. It was hilarious. No, um, it is. Um, it's funny, though, because you say all that and everybody's doing the whole uh, the Sanders thing. And I've been getting reamed on the board for saying I don't think OU's going to take Sanders. Hear me out on this. And I, I want you guys' thoughts on this. And I talked to somebody today about it as well. And I got the same answer. Why would Oklahoma want to scare off Clayton Smith? They've already told her they're done at that position outside of Scooby Williams. And that was known going into this. It was Clayton Smith and Scooby, right? Well, Scooby goes to Florida. Clayton picks Oklahoma. Jamar Cain, for the most part, probably says, all right, well, I'm done. Does he risk losing Clayton Smith, who almost everybody thinks is the best edge rusher in the country, to go potentially land Jatavian Sanders? Do you do I'll that? give you a hot take. I will give you a hot take that has zero, like, standing, okay? You don't have anything to back it up is what you're saying, right? Yes. And correct. Okay, so there's no sourcing, no nothing. You're just, this is not just me okay. spitballing because I love Jatavian Sanders as a prospect. But for this reason, Oklahoma did not ha- necessarily have the intention of taking a tight end age back guy in this. Correct. Season. They did not. Now, I can see that. I can see that. Listen, Jatavian Sanders hit a max speed on a one handed interception of 20.6 miles per hour. Okay. The highest recorded miles per hour from a high school running back, I believe, in the state of Texas was like 19.2. Okay, so basically, this guy's... That, how fast did he run on a clock? On a clock and a one-handed interception, Jatavian Sanders ran 20.6 miles per hour, which is ridiculous, okay? Interesting. He plays both ways for Denton Ryan. Mm-hmm. He plays outside wide receiver. My thought is, and again, there is no that's what that's what Clayton Smith does for for Texarkana, Texas High, too. My thought process is at, at six foot four and like 230 pounds, if you have a chance to go get that guy as your tight end prospect, you do it. Yeah, I, I would agree. This is me thinking outside of the box because no, that's a no, five star. That is a five-star prospect, and think about the waves that it would make. And it would also further the relationships between the program and Denton Ryan High, which, again, has 2022s and 2023s mm-hmm. at Oklahoma. Anthony Hill, Bear Alexander, all the guys you just named. That's yep. fact. Yep, so I, I would be – if I were in those meeting rooms, I would be on a table saying, take this guy as a tight end, get him, because it's clear he has the ball skills. And if you don't love him as an edge rusher guy or you don't want to risk Clayton Smith, go fill your tight end spot and move on. I'm just thinking outside of the box here. What do you guys think? I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I don't know. I'm a big tight end guy too. So Sanders and tight ends, that just to me absolutely screams perfect fit in Lincoln Riley's system. But anyways. No, I – I'm sure we should probably touch on the guy that they actually got last night because he's pretty good too. Yeah, so let's let's touch on that. You know, that guy named Billy Bowman, uh, athlete, plays both ways, similarly to uh, Jatavian Sanders. Um, guys, that guy, now, he has a lot of connections to Oklahoma family living in the Norman, Oklahoma City area. 
Um, he's got a girlfriend that is a star softball player, and for some odd reason, Coleman's her last name, right? Yes. Yeah, what's Jada your first Coleman. name? Jada Coleman, that's right. I always forget the first name. Coleman's the last name. Um, so she was Gatorade National Player of the Year. She's really good. She's from the Colony, uh, Texas area. Um, he has a lot of connections to Oklahoma. He grew up an OU fan where his parents were Texas fans, from my understanding. Um it just seemed like a long time coming the second the offer was put out. Uh, it seemed like it was going to happen. I remember when the offer was put out, I made a phone call and I said, does Oklahoma have a shot? And the guy goes, they wouldn't offer it if they didn't think they did. And from that point on, it just kind of seemed a matter of when, not if the flip was going to happen, regardless of what he was putting out there. It just didn't make sense with his girlfriend and family there. And everybody knew that at the at the time that Oklahoma with a now offer, a committable offer out there to him, how he doesn't go to OU. It, you know, it just didn't make sense. And even though he was saying all the right things about Texas, and I don't even think Texas people really bought it. I mean, Mike Roach – he reported that you know he thought it was he was he was solid, but even he would throw a caveat when we talked. He said, "But there's just a lot of connections at OU. It's hard not to just write it off. You can't just write it off. There's got to be something there." So, I think some people thought Mike Roach, as good as he is, he always was skeptical about it. Um, that's why he's the goat down there, and it's just. I, it's an unbelievable get because the guy can be an NFL prospect at both sides of the ball. He's that athletic and he's that talented. This is a massive get for not just the fact that he's that talented, but as what you just said, Colin, he now with his dad being on staff there, he now allows Oklahoma to have a massive inroad into one of the most talented programs in the state of Texas. Another scary little deal that Riley's pulling in there. You add the Duncanville area that Oklahoma looks like they're going to rake with Savion Bird and Amaria Boer and that also. I mean, if you're texting him in Texas right now, you got to be like wanting to pull your hair out going, how is this happening? Like, how are they coming in and getting all the inroads to the best programs in Texas high school football? Yeah. Joey, do you have anything you wanted to say about Billy Bowman and that get? Oh, it's just huge. I mean, you, you talk about the, the implications of it to me. And obviously, Oklahoma's getting another highly rated uh, athlete, but the implications of him being previously committed to Texas and kind of what's going on there right now, we won't get into too much of Texas stuff because uh, Quinn Ewers and everything like that's that's not necessarily our domain, but that's the biggest thing to me is this is a, this is another hit to show who's the king of the Big Twelve Conference and Billy Bowman wants to play for the team that's the king of the Big Twelve Conference. It's not Texas; it's Oklahoma. Yeah, and I think when we talk about Billy Bowman, Clayton Smith, guys like that, that Oklahoma swung away from Texas. I think. More than anything, Oklahoma's provided them the opportunity to really do whatever they'd like to do at the next level. And I think 
Oklahoma's flexibility is what's really separating itself from some of the other contenders in the state of Texas. I mean, Clayton Smith's going to have the opportunity to play all over that defensive front. Billy Bowman, I, fir- I said this last night on Twitter, and I'll say it on the podcast here. I think firmly that guy at some point will play on all three phases for Oklahoma, and he will impact each respective phase. He's that good as a defensive back, as an offensive player who can play wide receiver or even running back at times. I think he could be a Percy Harvin-style player in Oklahoma system, and I think he should be an elite return man when he arrives in Norman. So for me, when you factor all this in and Oklahoma's willingness to showcase that, that's what's allowing the Sooners to be so effective in the state, like you're talking about Brandon and Joey. They are allowing these elite athletes to go and do whatever they like at the next level. They're accounting for that. And they've shown that flexibility in the past with, you know, Trajan Bridges or or Crawford, guys that they've moved around. And, and so as Oklahoma has kept an open now. mind, yeah. yeah, as Oklahoma's kept an open mind, recruits have kept an open mind in terms of the program, and now it's paying off in a major way. Well, okay, so talking about paying off, we discussed – the big 12 titles and can Oklahoma win 10, right? If Oklahoma wins this year and next year, at what point, at what point does the high school players in Texas not look at OU and go, all right, well, I think we should all just go up there and play because it's, it, it, it's happening now. Right. But I mean, at what point do you think it's like almost to the point where OU gets who they want when they want, in the state of Texas over the flagship schools because of their success, especially if they go out and they win a national title between now and then, which isn't out of the realm of possibility because it's a very real possibility next year. Um, I, I, I'm just, I'm just starting to like, I'm, I'm questioning how kids look at the dominance of Oklahoma and they see, they go, Oh, well, I'm, you know, Texas or Texas A&M or Texas Tech or, you know, LSU or Arkansas, you know, and I'm not bashing those programs. It's just when you have a team that dominant in your, your region and they offer you like, I've always wondered the, I guess the, the, the mental aspect of it. Like, yeah. Why did you choose that school over this and the answers are always super interesting to me like well i chose it because of this 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 and this and i didn't think oklahoma because of depth no i get the depth answer like if you you look at oklahoma you're like well that's great they're winning and all and i would love to go up there but i don't want to sit for three years and only get to play one that's valid you know okay we'll go where you want to go play you know but if you think you're going to start immediately and or play after year two or three and get two or three years of actual playing time starting i guess i don't get it i i really don't and that's not like a homer look that's that's an actual question like i don't i would yeah. say the same thing if it was texas and oklahoma shoes like how could you not choose texas so okay it's it's something you and i actually talked about over the weekend late at night on i want to say friday night and it's it's fascinating oh, a&m stuff yeah 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 go ahead yeah go for it yeah so it's fascinating because in the state of texas the, the, the players and the prospects within it have for so long kind of relied on like this regional bias, right? Where A&M has a very strong influence in like the greater Houston area or Texas for the longest time had 
great influence, not only in its region, but in the DFW Metroplex, so on and so forth. But Oklahoma, obviously, in most recent years, has really started to infiltrate North Texas. And I think now what you're seeing more and more of is Oklahoma starting to capitalize on Houston, some of the Austin regions. And I think eventually, as Oklahoma starts to get more of these guys and some of the power programs that we're mentioning, and they further their relation with those regions. I, I personally hold the take, and I'm, this is just coming from a guy who you know is from the state of Texas and has observed these kind of regional biases for a while. I think moving forward that unless something drastically changes in terms of Texas or Texas A&M, that Oklahoma and Ohio State will be the dominant presences within the state of Texas. It's just how it's going to be. And I think Oklahoma is now in a great position where, and I actually talked about this with, with Bobby Taylor for a good while, and I'll have more from him later, but Oklahoma is doing such a great job right now because they're not only starting to strengthen their relationships with some of the major programs in various regions of the state of Texas, but Oklahoma's also shown a willingness to play young guys. And that is enticing to players in the state of Texas when they can go and get an opportunity at a power program relatively quick in their career. So I'm with you, Brandon. I really, I really do think that in like, especially in the Caleb Williams area, I'll say that in the Caleb Williams era, I think that Ohio state and Oklahoma will potentially have more power in the state of Texas than A&M and the university of do in that time frame. Wow. Wow. It's, it's wow. tough. <laughs> you just said, Ohio State, no, you will have more power than A&M in Texas. Wow. But, 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 okay, think of where I'm coming from, right? No, no, I'm with you on it. But the fact that those words were said and people are going to listen to this and they're going to go, wow, just like I did. He's not wrong. Here's, here's what will define if Texas can get back on top. Because I don't know, I don't think A&M can really get back in contention. If they can beat Oklahoma consistently? That, but that also factors into my primary reason. Who does Texas hire next? Urban Meyer, you haven't heard? Well, that's the thing. If they get a one Urban Meyer, then I would change that theory drastically. Absolutely. I mean, if... if it, could they get Urban Meyer? Like that, do, you, do we really think that that's a legitimate... I think thing? Urban Meyer's going to the 40 acres. I'll say it right now. Like, I could be wrong, but... So was Saban at one point, remember? Right. Then that's <laughs> that actually well, did happen and they backed did, out because RC Buford did he, he end up actually, going to Texas? No, but that actually almost did happen. RC Buford opened his mouth and kind of screwed that up for Texas. So obviously I'd like Urban Meyer to head to Arlington, but hey, I mean that's a whole other discussion. So I'm just saying, man, I think what will really be defining in the coming years is who Texas hires to replace Tom Herman if they make that move. And how Oklahoma goes about capitalizing on some of the relationships that we're talking about. It's going to be very key. Okay, so you, the Dallas Cowboys, that's an interesting – that's interesting yep. what you're saying there. Um, <laughs> no, but I was trying to think the other day who I thought would be a good fit for the Cowboys, and I said it, and now I can't remember who it was. It was an up and comer. Um, Matt, <laughs> Matt Cam- no, it wasn't Matt Campbell. Yeah. Um, 
Man, it's driving me crazy. Driving me nuts now. That I can't I can't figure it out and it's driving me crazy. As soon as we finish, it's gonna come to you. Yeah, it's gonna come and, to you. and it was, and it won't it be was too like late because you can tell everyone. Yeah, you just yeah, can't tell them. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Anyways. Now there the the, the, the Urban Meyer I don't I don't want to write it completely off with you know him going to Texas, but I just think it'd be he has such a good gig at Fox, like it just he's getting older having to go through all this again build it up and he's not going to stay there but for four or five years so i don't know that that's something that in and following up a guy that he's very close to it we've all seen the way he talks about texas like when he talks about texas and that staff because of chris ash tom herman everybody else on that staff that he's super close to because of the ohio state connection i don't know that he wants to follow up and top Tom Herman, somebody that he's close to, or Chris Ash. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think more than anything, it's it's is Urban Meyer willing to put up with some of the off-field implications that that job brings? Because everyone knows you, if you are the head coach at Texas, you got to deal with a lot of donor talk. You got to deal with a lot of outside noise. There's just a lot to handle away from the game of football. But Urban Meyer has been on the big stage before, right? Ohio State, Florida, so on and so forth. And so my big thing here is the Tom Herman buyout is Texas would have to make sure that Urban Meyer is in the boat ready to go before they make that kind of financial move. So I don't know. It's a massive discussion to have another day. But it it is something to say because if Texas weren't to get someone like Urban Meyer, I mean, Ryan Day, Quinn Ewers potentially teaming up, and it seems like it's trending that way on the crystal ball. And then Oklahoma having Lincoln Riley and a guy like Caleb Williams, who's going to recruit anywhere and everywhere. It's just going to be hard to match that if Tom Herman's still in Austin, if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. So, okay, I want to switch gears real quick. And in this, um, by the time Oklahoma plays Oklahoma State, I'll give you three guys, three names, and you have to say, will they be committed or not? I'll By Oklahoma prediction. State? By Oklahoma State. And, folks, these are predictions. These are unsourced predictions. Uh, we, I'm just throwing caveats out there for you guys so you can disclaimers. That way you guys understand and you don't go to the boards and go, well, Brandon and Colin said that this, 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 and this is a person that's going to be committed by blah, blah, blah. Disclaimer, these are just educated, just guesses. They're educated guesses. Nothing more. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Throw these names out. Savion Bird. Tristan Lee. Kamar Wheaton. I think oh, here I'll throw I'll throw one more. And does Egbuka visit OU by Bedlam? A lot of buzz about that. Well, okay, yeah. So they have to go to well, okay, well, they get Oklahoma State at home. So I think if anything, correct. If anything, you want Egbuka visiting during Oklahoma State. Correct. So I'm gonna say that it, they I'm going to say just wild guess that they get Egbuka to check out that game. I'm going to say Lee Waits. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that 
Kamar. Agree, agree. Because of who Kamar is and the <laughs> recruiting attention that he does not want. We do not know. <laughs> I, I just, you, again, we're spitballing here, but I would say he would be the most likely of that trio that you bring up. Yeah, to come in. Yes. And then Savion would be a candidate to wait, but I do think that he would make a decision before December, whereas I could see Lee waiting until, you know, January, February. Yeah. Well, Lee said originally he wanted to wait till January, but the game got canceled. So now he's trying to figure it all out. That's why I find it interesting because there's a chance that he's supposed to be back as well before December why not the Bedlam game for that as well? That would be interesting if Ekbuka and Lee showed up in Norman for... Could guys, can we see that being a big weekend for Oklahoma? I think you can. I, and it's not that OU's going to make it happen because they can't, um, and they wouldn't even risk doing that. It's, it's the families doing that on their own dime, wanting to go mm-hmm. see the atmosphere, even though it's going to be a weird atmosphere it'll still be better than nothing and they get to see what everything's like the games. And we all know that Tristan Lee, five-star offensive lineman out of the DMV area, uh, the DC area, for those that don't know what DMV is. Um, <clears throat> he is crystal balled by myself and Steve Wiltfong. Uh, Brian Bishop did it a long time ago. Um, but I'm pretty close. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm tell you, you'd be leaning on the right side if you crystal ball yeah. him right now from everything I know. Um, but so his mom is going to move to wherever he goes and his brother. And they've been looking for places to move, like high schools, you know, like stuff like that, that are good high school football programs that the kid can learn and play underneath. So that that's big. Uh and she's a nurse, so she can get a job anywhere. Um, so that's big for Oklahoma. They feel comfortable at Oklahoma. Uh, his mom feels comfortable at Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a leader right now. If he was going to commit to LSU, it would have already happened. And everything that's going on at LSU with the probations, the the takeaway of the scholarships, the Bad football. The, the bad football, the NCAA, <laughs> looking at them, things aren't looking very well for LSU right now, program-wise. Um, so I will say that though he may wait, I don't know that he gets past December signing day now. I just don't. I think that that's a real possibility. Um, Kamar, I'm going to predict that he finally commits. But again, we don't freaking know. That kid's so quiet. He's so hard to read. And I don't know if there's like a maybe, maybe he doesn't. Maybe they maybe the coaches won't allow him to commit in season. And maybe that's the issue. He has to wait till December to do it. Don't know. But I do know OU feels really good about where they stand with him. Like really, really, really good. Uh had some great conversations with him the last couple of weeks. Things are just looking really good for Oklahoma. Um I think Ekbuka visits. Uh, there's a lot of buzz about that right now. Uh, his dad, Henry, and Carl Williams are close. Caleb and Mecca are close. They just have to see it for themselves. And I was told the second he is playing, Will's, 
hit Will Rogers Airport runway, put a crystal ball on OU. That's a, that's the exact words a couple of sources told me, because the reason why he hasn't committed to Ohio State is because he wants to see OU that badly, and he's that close with Caleb that they just think it's going to be very hard for him not to commit when that's all said and done. And shortly after the visit to OU, they think that his recruitment would be over. Uh, Savion, look, Savion's a major OU lean, major OU lean. I know that there's, and I even talked to somebody the other day about his prediction, uh, other people's prediction for SMU there. And their exact words to me was, he may be telling SMU all this stuff, but he has told Oklahoma stronger things. I'll put it to you like that. I'm trying to word it right. Stronger things to make them think that they're very much in play and very much the leader in the clubhouse and in a big way. Now, could that change? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That could change. But I think that he's committed because mama wants him at OU and mama's probably going to get what she wants. So if I was a betting man, I will bet that maybe not by Bedlam, but by December, Savion Bird is a Sooner. That's my guess. And boom, I think that's a podcast right there. I can certainly see it. Yeah, okay. So we got $1 for the first month on OU Insider right now, nine ninety five afterwards. Or you can join 30% off which I think is $75, which is out of, I think, $100, $910 a month is the usual value. So I, I just think that it would be a good time to join OU Insider. We've had a big month last month, over almost 150 new signups. Uh, it was a great month. We're one of the fast top five fastest growing uh, sites on 247. All thanks to Colin, Joey, RJ, and then you have myself kind of straggling along there trying to help. And then we just have a really good team. I mean, it is a really good team. I know you insider uh, work well together, always on the board, answering questions, uh, thousands and thousands of OU fans on there 24 seven. I mean, last night at 3 AM, we had 600 dudes on there. I mean, that's crazy on the VIP board. That's crazy. That's how busy we are constantly during the day. So there'll be times during the day there's, Two, three thousand, four thousand people at once. So uh, go ahead, join. It's a blast on OUinsider.com. Um, and we would love to have you. My PMs are always open. If you ever have questions, I'm always there for you. So is the rest of the guys. So OUinsider.com, one dollar for the first month. If you just want to try it out, you can cancel after that. Then it's $9.95 after that. Or you can just sign up $75 right now, 30% off. We'll get you a whole year of OU Insider. A whole year of OUinsider.com. And that is a value of $109. So, guys, I want to thank you. That is Colin Kennedy, our assistant team and recruiting analyst, and Joey, our editor and chief content manager. Uh, Thank you guys for being on with me. This is Brandon Drum, lead team recruiting analyst for OUinsider.com, signing off.